It is Thursday, May 6th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And we've got a pair of special guests with us tonight because we're drafting rookies. You know, the first guy from his work with the Action Network and Fantasy Labs, he is at Matt F. The Oracle on Twitter. And he's probably in the middle of an Ask Me Anything right now as we speak. Matthew Friedman, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, my pleasure. I'm uh, happy to get top billing over Hayden. Uh, real, real win there for me. Uh, no, and I haven't done an AMA in uh, about a week. Actually, I uh, just randomly chose to uh, give myself a week off or so, so I could actually uh, write some uh, some draft content. And uh, and honestly, I was so depressed from Trayvon Morig not being the number one safety drafted uh, that I I just couldn't bear to do an AMA uh, in, in the wake of that. So uh, it's, I'm going to start back up with the AMAs pretty soon, but I just had to give myself a breather. So has your wife been taking the opportunity to ask you questions now that other people aren't so much? <laughs> uh, no. What's funny is that she actually will follow along to the AMAs. She knows nothing about sports. She'll like, so if it's a sports question, she'll just skip it. She wants, she'll like, she'll scan it for all of the other questions that have to do with like, who's your favorite band? All of that stuff she'll look at, but just yeah, I thought, just, I thought you were going to say she knows nothing about you, and, and she uses that. <laughs> That's true. That's how we've been married so long. <laughs> like, how can I find out Matt's favorite band unless I follow his AMA? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Our other guest, as Matt already introduced for us, is making a repeat appearance on the podcast, but has a new home since. He's now delivering content and marketing for Underdog Fantasy. He is at Hayden Winks on Twitter because that is his actual name, Hayden Winks. Thank you for coming back to join us again. Yeah, thanks for having me. There's fortunately not too many other Hayden Winkses out there. So the the name was still available, even though I joined just a couple of years ago. And I know why Matt isn't doing uh, AMAs right now. It's because he's he's already grinding the 2022 NFL draft props. He's going to be tweeting those out. We can all just tail him for all the money. You know what? If there were props, I would be betting them. And I actually am uh, finishing up my 2020, like uh, 2022, way too early mock for next year. So, yeah, it's uh, you're halfway right. Yeah. Why don't you tell people how many bets you placed on this uh, on this past NFL draft? Two hundred and ninety eight. <laughs> nice. It's, it's embarrassing. It really is. How rich would we be if we could just do the NFL draft every single month? I mean, we, it is the ultimate print press. Like, I cr- absolutely really crushed. And my mock draft was like maybe like 54th percentile among all of the, the mock drafts. And I printed against the draft props. It's insane. Yeah. The books, I mean, it definitely it kills them. They know it's going to kill them. Honestly, uh, they should just hire me or someone else <laughs> for like three months a year to be a consultant so that they don't get killed on this. But like, they really should hire someone because the people who are normally setting this stuff, they're not nerds the way that we are. They're not obsessed with, with these prospects. So, I mean, they're just at a, a really marked disadvantage. Nice. So well, I think that's officially more bets than the NFL itself made on the draft. If we're, you know, counting each draft yeah. pick as a bet. Yes. But the NFL draft is behind us. 2022 is still off a little bit. We've got our official rookie rankings up on DraftSharks.com including a super flex option, including IDPs. But Jared, we wanted to put these things kind of to work, put them in action and maybe draw in some fresh opinions on these new fantasy prospects, right? 
Yeah, we could have had Matt and Hayden on and just talk to the to, through the rookies, but I mean, everyone loves drafting, right? So why not, you know, make it a little, a little mock draft? That's what this is all about. We're going to mock out three rounds of a 12-team rookie draft here. We are just four men, as you can see. So we'll be taking three turns apiece in each round. We're going to assume one quarterback, a fairly standard lineup, two running backs, three wideouts, flex, you know, all that. Half PPR scoring, though. You know, the drafters can certainly feel free along the way to make comments on variations for other league formats, Superflex, PPR, whatever. If there's a player that differs in a different format, feel free to comment on it. We're just going to jump into it because I don't think people came to uh, hear us talk about the other stuff. It's a draft. And Matt, I want you to please kick us off with the 101. All right. I will be curious to hear what you guys have to say. Uh, I'm going with Najee Harris. I think there's a case that could be made for Travis Etienne and that he's younger, maybe has a better career. Uh, I think there's a, a clear case to be made for Jamar Chase. Uh, I think wide receivers tend to have longer careers. Generally, I think it's sharper to take a wide receiver if you can. Uh, and then if you're feeling nasty, Kyle Pitts could also be uh, a, a viable one-on-one. I'm going with Najee Harris because I do think that he will have uh, the most immediate impact in year one, which will give him more value relative to all of the other players you could take heading into year two. So Najee Harris for me, but I'd love to hear what you guys think. Najee Harris is number one for us at DraftSharks.com as well. And I think I had him very close with Travis Etienne heading in. But once he landed in that spot where he's a clear three down guy and Travis Etienne landed somewhere where they're talking about Percy Harvin, Najee (laughs) Harris went to number one for me as well. I would have drafted him first overall too, just because he, he has the, the three down profile and the other two guys don't necessarily have it. I think Travis Etienne could earn it long-term, but it sounds like this year that's not going to happen. I don't want, I don't really want to trust urban Meyer. Then I think with Javante Williams, we'll get to him too. Uh, his third down trajectory is kind of long-term too. So I, Najee Harris is going to be a bell cow workload immediately. And that's kind of hard to pass up. Yeah. So for me, the top tier is two players. You know, it was nice of Schaff to give me the the, the one Oh two. It makes it easy for me. It, it, it's Jamar chase for me at one Oh two. And I, I think you, know, you could, you could take him at one one I, so Najee Harris has more short-term value for sure. I think Jamar chase easily has the long-term value. You, know, you talk about the, the positional stuff that goes to wide receiver. Harris's landing spot is good for volume. I don't like anything else about it. Like that offensive line is a mess. I think Big Ben is a mess. I think, you know, this is probably his last year, and I'm not even sure. I don't have much confidence in how he's going to play this year. So, yeah, Harris is going to get the volume. It might be ugly. Chase, you know, I, I, I'm i a Joe Burrow believer. You, you like that report that he already has with Joe Burrow. Tough target competition there. I mean, T. Higgins, I think, is a stud. Tyler Boyd, always underrated. Um, but I think Chase is good enough to be the number one receiver there, even by this season. And I do think long-term he is that guy. Um, you know, just, just one of the better – wide receiver prospects we've seen come in in recent memory. So he, he's the pick for me at 102. So it doesn't sound like anybody would have taken somebody other than Harris at one. Is anybody, would either of you guys have taken somebody besides Chase at number two? Nope. I probably would have gone with Etienne. And, and I think Chase, I, I totally agree with you 100%. Chase is the better longer term play. I think Etienne um, might be the better short term play within years one and two. And just because running back is so important, there are so few guys who really do have the chance to become like legit three down players. And even though they're talking about him like he's just a, a receiving back, I think at some point he would have the opportunity to carve out more of a like kind of like Cam Akers esque kind of role. And I think if you can get someone like that at number two, you probably take the shot on it. Matt, they're not talking about him like he's uh, a receiving back. They called him Slash explicitly. They expect him to be Cordell Stewart. 
I do not believe it. <laughs> so that, that that's interesting, though, because, you know, they the Percy Harvin thing did come up. It was not Urban Meyer that said it, but he was the one who coached Percy Harvin at Florida. And he called him a slash, quote unquote, obviously not referring to Cordell Stewart, but somebody who apparently they think can be like running back wide receiver type hybrid or something. It doesn't sound that, though, like you expect him to carry fewer times than James Robinson this year. Uh, I could see him actually trailing Robinson a little bit, but that might have more to do with Carlos Hyde not being as big of a factor as people would maybe expect. Like the hope is that he's not this year's Adrian Peterson in that bevel that bevel backfield. But I I tend to think that the slash is more of a like talking about how highly they think of him as a receiver as opposed to the the lack of a workload he might have as a runner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I read. I read the slash thing as a positive. Like we want our running backs catching passes. What is it like? They're worth like targets are worth two and a half times as much as a carry. Like they're, they're, they're not going to, you know, give him 70 carries this season. Like he, he's going to top that. And if he's going to be a massive part of the passing game, which I think he can be and should be, I, I think that's good news for how Meyer wants to use him. Yeah. Well, I'm assuming the same thing. We all, we have to remember too, that it was a coach talking a day or two after his very first NFL draft hasn't seen anybody on the field yet as just, you know, in the early planning stages, it's going to be interesting to see how it develops, but I, I would not expect we get double digit only carries from Travis Etienne this year. Well, I'll take him at one of three for like all the reasons that we just laid out. I, I think he'll probably have like what around like 10 carries per game this year with five to six targets somewhere in that ballpark, which is like kind of like a, the light version of Alvin Kamara. I'm not sure if he's going to get the goal line touches that Alvin Kamara gets and the offense certainly isn't going to be as good. But even that, he can be like the RB20 this year, and then you kind of just build upon that. Um, and it, he was a 95th percentile prospect in my model, um, even though he's like a four-year player. He just When you're that productive and you're that fast from a big program, I'm going to like you. And guys, James Robinson wasn't that good last year. Like he, he, yeah. he was a compiler. He was pretty average if you look at some of the, you know, missed tackles per attempt, yards after contact, like that type of stuff. He was undrafted. He was with a completely different regime. Last year, this regime has no ties to him. They just spent a first-round pick on ETN. Like, I, I think ETN's going to become the guy there pretty quickly. Smola, don't let people hear you say that. They'll take your dynasty card away. <laughs> I know. I know. It's dangerous. You've been trying to get people to sell James Robinson all along, Jared. I think the, I think the window passed if people were waiting for it. But, I don't know, he could also turn into a redraft value now that he's sliding down the, the single-digit rounds. Where is he going in redrafts? Do we, do we know? Not to get off topic. I'm not sure what the ADP is. I took him at round seven uh, in a, in a draft over the weekend. What about you guys? Have you seen him, his ADP lately? I think it's like an R, like an RB thirty seven or thirty eight. Um, off the refresh underdogs ADP though. Yeah, I should have come straight to you with the ADP question. <laughs> I'll pull it up. I'm gonna move to one hundred four now, and I'm gonna have to take Kyle Pitts because I don't love the next option elsewhere. And I mean, if this guy really is the generational type prospect that he seems to universally be considered then you know i'll go ahead and take a shot on him over javante williams over the next wide receivers i I think that he's probably going to disappoint this year versus expectations just because of how high they are but with how universal the praise is for kyle pitts he landed in a good spot for passing volume and for opportunity i I think he just makes sense at the fourth spot you know i i really like it and to be honest like we are going to see another Najee harris travis Etienne, and jamar chase enter the league in the next two to five years like we are not going to see another Kyle Pitts within that time. And like that is, I think, the main justification for taking him 
wherever you want in the top four. Like if you take him at 101, like you're reaching, you're definitely reaching, but you're doing it because it's like, I'm going to take the unicorn in this class. And so I think it makes total sense to take him at 104. To be honest, if I had to redo this again, I would take him at 101, knowing that I can get Javante Williams at 105. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I would rather have that combo. But I'll take Javante Williams at at 105. Uh, I feel like he's, uh, you know, out of the players in this tier. If you're going to go with a running back and like every team needs a running back, I think you you clearly go with him. And I don't know if there's much of a difference in all of the wide receivers that follow him. Like there's it's hard, I think, to parse all of those guys coming after like Waddle Smith, the Elijah Moore versus Rondell Moore thing. Like, you know, who do you go with? Kadarius Tony? Do you even think of him in that? T- like, so I'm just going to take Javante Williams, a guy that I think by year two will definitely be the main guy in his backfield and maybe as early as year one. Now, if the Falcons had stuck in that spot instead of trading it to the Broncos and taking Javante Williams in round two, would you guys put Javante Williams any earlier in this round, assuming that everybody else landed where they did? I don't think I would, but I would definitely be all the more pants off to get him at number five. (laughs) Yeah, he'd still be my RB3. I think he'd be like in the same tier as ETN for me, where now I have him in a, you know, kind of a tier by himself um, landing with Denver. I, Alvin Gordon was still pretty good last year. If you look at you know, some of the advanced metrics and he, he's gone in 2022. So it's Williams backfield at that point, but I do think Gordon's going to keep it a committee backfield this year. All right, Jared, what you got at six? I'm taking Devonte Smith at six. And man, if I, you know, if I was someone who was like hundred percent analytics, I couldn't make this pick. Cause I mean, he, he obviously has his warts, you know, the, Later breakout age, the weight, obviously, but I have the liberty, the, the you know, liberty to use my eyes too. And I just think this guy's like awesome at football. I think he's gonna, you know, break the mold for being that late. I like the landing spot. You know, there's some long-term questions at quarterback, but I think Smith can come in and be Philly's number one receiver right away. Hayden, would he have been your next wide receiver taken? Definitely. And he he's a 99th percentile prospect in my model. I really heavily weight where you went to school because I think that that has a lot of talent prediction. Like it always blows my mind when people overlook like Devonta Smith went to Alabama, like that, that has to mean something. And the fact that he was that productive at Alabama, like really means something for me. So despite the, the, the concerns with his size, just the fact that he did that against press coverage against the sec, I don't want to compare him to John Ross and Taylor and Austin who were lighting up against lesser conferences. Like he did this against press coverage against sec cornerbacks. Like that's, he's just different. And Matt, I was looking at your rookie rankings earlier today. I think you have Devontae Smith up there as well, right? Yeah, I have Waddle ahead of Smith, but like I, I wouldn't argue if you wanted to take Smith ahead of Waddle. I have Waddle six, Smith seven. So like I'm I'm very close to where we're taking him here. And and Hayden, to your point, like I similarly like the guys who play major programs. For me, uh, some of that comes in by like I look at the recruitment status that these guys have entering college, and there's like a really high correlation between whether a guy's like a four and a five star recruit and like where he's going to school. And so like you can you can like quantify it and have it as as a part of your model. And so I totally agree with you. The fact that he that he was a four star recruit entering college even though he was really tiny even then and then the fact that he did very well at Alabama uh, I think that more than addresses the size concerns now when you guys are quantifying that does say a four-star recruit who plays at Alabama or a four-star recruit who plays at Ole Miss is that 
the same because they're both SEC, or are you quantifying for the four specific schools as well? Hayden probably has his own way of looking at it. I like I don't take the school into account in a quantifiable way. I look at like I have the recruitment stars as something that's like part of like a prior uh, that's that's in the model. Okay. I add team strength, which it comes from like college football reference, but you can use a strength of schedule recruiting. I just want one of those things in there because otherwise like Devonta Smith and like Jalen Darden are like coming out like the same projection. Like, give me a break. Like I mean, I, we've, we've, we've drafted Andy Isabella enough and underdrafted Terry McLaurin enough where we need to kind of, kind of go back and forth a little with these little bit. Take it easy on Andy. Okay. <laughs> I was an Andy Isabella truth or two, but that you was a learning lesson. Else. That was a learning lesson. All right, Hayden, let's move on to the next pick. Who you got after Devonte Smith? Jalen Waddle. It's like very similar discussion with, with Devonta Smith. I know his production wasn't crazy good, but his yards per route route run was awesome. If you just watch him and he went to Alabama and he was a five-star and all of those things that we just talked about with Devonta Smith, same thing with Jalen Waddle. I think the biggest difference is just target competition, just because I think Will Fuller's good and Devontae Parker's good too. They've drafted two tight ends recently that could catch the ball too. So I, I, I think that the car- target competition, especially early on, is going to be pretty difficult to overcome, but he's just such a talented prospect that I'm, I'm willing to like look and play the long-term game with him. I don't know what to make of, I guess ultimately I, I'm trying not to factor in landing spot too much there because I don't know what to make of that Miami wide receiver core. Will Fuller could be gone after this year. Devontae Parker, who really knows what his career looks like beyond this point. It's kind of been up and down too now, but it's a, it's an offense that could change very quickly beyond this point. Mm-hmm. So I think ultimately I, I'm just taking where they drafted Jalen Waddle. I'm taking the tape on him and just betting on the talent from here going forward. Tua needs receivers that create separation. You know, we saw with Devontae Parker, he doesn't like throwing you know those contested balls to cover wide receivers. And of course, Tua already played with Waddle, so that helps too. So I, I think... You know, and, and, and Fuller's only there for one season, of course. I mean, Waddle should pretty quickly, I, th- I think, become the lead guy there. Yeah, and you have Gesicki, who's also entering the final year of his contract. Mm-hmm. So you could have two major pass catchers leaving. Now, at this next spot, if I had just one first-round pick, I got to be honest, I would probably just go ahead and take a quarterback because I like the quarterbacks more than other people this year. And I would go ahead and make sure that I secure one of the top guys. But for our exercise, I'm going to go ahead and take – Elijah Moore. And I mean, really, there's not a whole lot of difference between him and Terrace Marshall for me. Uh, It's a coin flip. It could be either one. Uh, I like both players. I guess maybe Elijah Moore has the chance to be the target leader in his spot. And I don't think that Terrace Marshall has that chance with DJ Moore around. But, you know, again, I think both players are winners on market shares. Both players are winners on testing. And both players landed in fine spots for their ultimate fantasy upside. I like it. That's the guy I would have taken. Um, if I were you, uh, so, uh, you know, well done. I, I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, the, I don't, I don't see anything like the, the landing spot you could say isn't great, but I think he's got a real chance to be the number one receiver pretty quickly in, in New York. And, you know, he's a 21 year old near first rounder, you know, who's coming out as a junior, great speed. He's got the college production. I, I like him a lot. I, Hayden, how high did you have him in your in your model? He's a 96 percentile wide receiver yeah. prospect. I mean, like totally lights out. That's ahead of Jalen Waddle, even factoring in the draft capital difference there. He's, he's a stud. The only thing that you can say that's a downfall with him is he's basically a slot type only. But I think that in this offense, that's going to be all right. And 
that's only he was only a slot receiver in college. Like, there's a chance that he can win outside too. So I don't want yes. to be underestimating him. I like I agree with you. Like, he was a slot receiver in college, but I do think there is the chance that he actually could win on the outside in the NFL. And like, if that happens, then it's just like mind blown. And even if that doesn't happen, he could still be like super Jamison Crowder, which I, oh, yeah. I think like would be enough. Yeah, I think that's the starting point. His college coach compared him to Steve Smith. So I think that that says there is that outside potential. He put up numbers as a true freshman alongside DK Metcalf and AJ Brown. You know, that, that might be more impressive than, than what he did last year. All right, Matt, you're up with the eighth pick in the first. All right, well, uh, I'm just hammering you guys with running backs here. Uh, I mean, seriously, what are you going to do? Like, you guys have no running backs on your team because I've, I've got all of them. I'm going with Trey Sermon, who, you know – I'm not in love with like him on his own, but the landing spot in San Francisco, I think is absolutely fantastic for him. Uh, you know, going in the third round as like the only guy, the only back drafted in the third round, this running back class was so disgusting, but with that draft capital, with the athleticism he has, I think he's sufficient enough as a receiver. It's hard to know exactly how that Shanahan backfield is going to be split, but with the draft capital they invested in him, I'm worth taking the shot because if he actually does pan out, he could have like 1,500 yards, 1,600 yards, and 10 touchdowns. Like it, He could be a league-winning type of back if it works out. Yeah, if we take the Shanahan system all the way back to Papa Shanahan, then this is a team that, that says, I can take Alfred Morris in round six and turn him into somebody that you guys are going to know. I can take Ryan Terrain and make him relevant. I can get my running backs from anywhere, and they're going to work. And this system moved up to take Trey Sermon in round three. So I think you definitely have to factor that in when you're uh, spinning forward and, and setting your expectations for him. I'm not a run scheme expert, but um, you know, I've read people who are, and they all say that Sermon's a perfect fit in this, in yeah. this running game. Definitely. Yeah. He, his best attribute uh, along with like, just, he's just a big back, like profiles. He has the, the size profile of a three down player, but he's just so elusive for a big back. It just jump cuts. And like, that's the entire point of the Shanahan scheme, get outside, make one cut and go. And that's exactly what he did. And he, he was very inconsistent in college, but the, the flashes were totally there. Like for me, he was just like a trust your eyes and trust the pedigree. I mean, you don't go to Oklahoma and Ohio State if you're a nobody. This is the kind of the, the, the entire discussion tonight. But this was just like, just trust the overall profile. Don't just only look at the production. Just kind of trust the process. And then the landing spot was just perfect. So I, I'm with you. I'm in on Trey Sermon. Yeah, he's like super Alfred Morris. You know, yeah. like I, I totally love the landing spot for him. So yeah. I, I'm happy to get him at nine. Yeah, I'm glad Matt left me Terrace Marshall. He's my pick here. You know, I, I had him. In the same tier as Elijah Moore and Rashad Bateman behind those top three receivers pre-draft, he dropped a bit farther than I think we'd like to see. It sounds like that was because of the injury stuff, though. You know, he had a couple leg injuries. Um, I think it was in high school and one in college. But man, I think he, you know, he has the size, has the athleticism, flashes on tape, nice production if you put it in context with the guys he was battling for targets with at LSU in 2019. And I, I like the landing spot. You know, he has familiarity, obviously, with Joe Brady from their time together at LSU. Um, I do agree with what you said before, Matt, that, you know, DJ Moore, probably the long-term number one there, but Robbie Anderson, a free agent after this season. So I think Marshall, you know, by 2022, if everything goes right, he's that team's number two wide receiver. Hayden, what do you think about Terrace Marshall? I thought he was a very boom bust prospect. Like there were some times when I would be watching him and I'd be like, oh man, that's like AJ Brown, Chris Godwin, like pick your favorite big 
receiver that could win inside outside. And then there were some times where I was like, what's going on with this? And that, that was basically his, his production profile too. And then throwing the injuries. So I can see this going either way. Like, and I think the landing spot was, was a plus though. And I'm okay. Uh, just kind of like throwing out like the 12 pick drop that he kind of had from the draft. I think he just chalked that up to injuries. And I think that Joe Brady probably had good Intel because he's as plugged in as anybody from the LSU coaching staff. So um, I thought the draft actually went pretty well for him, um, even though he fell a little bit. Matt, how did Marshall fare in your model? So I had him as my wide receiver two before the draft, and he's now maybe I think wide receiver five. I like him. I mean, but the the draft the drop in the draft did hurt him for me because like I, I thought of him more as a round one, round two borderline guy, and he ended up falling to the borderline of rounds two and three. And you know, I, there's like a, a perfectly reasonable explanation for why that happened with the injury concerns but like I try not to contextualize that too much or excuse it away because I find if I make an excuse for one guy it's just like I bias the process and then I also find myself making excuses for other guys and then it's like what what am I doing like I'm at least trying to remain somewhat objective by letting the model dictate a lot of what happens so uh, as Hayden said like the upside is massive. Like I look at him and I'm like, okay, this was a five-star 21 year old who has great size and athleticism who actually had underappreciated production, but fantastic production his last season and who played outside and then inside, like this is perfect. And then he lands and then he lands with his college coordinator. Uh, Like I I love it. Like I absolutely love that. The draft capital is the only thing that makes me push him a little bit further down the board relative to other wide receivers. Hayden, what you got for the next pick? For me, it's Rashad Bateman. And going back to the draft capital, my model has Terrace Marshall as an 83rd percentile prospect, and that was a little bit lower than it was uh, pre-draft. And Rashad Bateman's a 91st percentile prospect. So my eyes kind of told me that Rashad Bateman was the better player overall in general. At least his floor is much higher. And I think that in this offense, it is the perfect fit. He is the the type of player that Lamar Jackson has not had. And I anticipate him being the target leader immediately. I think Marquise Brown is going to sink and be like a five target player. And Rashad Bateman could like open up the offense to something that they have not had. And if you look at just like where Lamar Jackson likes throwing the football, it is almost exclusively over the middle. And then Rashad Bateman owned on slants. And I think he can be a yards after the catch player. He's got decent athleticism. His college profile was basically flawless outside of like last year you missed some time because of covid but obviously the lamar jackson it makes it a kind of boom bust just because you don't know how many times they're gonna throw the ball but i think that they're, they will throw the ball more this year because they have rashad bateman and i think that the offensive coordinator is probably like why would i throw the ball last year like i was throwing it to willie sneed and freaking marquise <laughs> brown who kept, kept dropping passes i think that rashad bateman kind of unlocks the entire offense have you gotten into Ravens projections yet since the draft to, to see, I don't know, to, to, I guess, plot out how you think that pass run split might change this year? Yeah, I have. I think I added like maybe three or four percentage points on their neutral pass rates. Um, this is something like this is my baseline projection. I think I'm going to like go into deep dive for each team um, as we move along through the summer. But I am anticipating them to jump up in their neutral pass rates this year. So I liked Bateman's film better than Marshall's pretty easily. I think Bateman has the better production profile, right? Would you guys agree with that? Like, you know, taking into account his his entire college career. So I'm I'm taking Marshall over Bateman almost completely on landing spot, which is probably a mistake. I'm I'm probably too low on Rashad Bateman 
man, I, I, you know, the Ravens thing, like you can say, oh, you know, Greg Roman might be gone next year or in a couple of years, you know, but even then, I just think as long as Lamar Jackson is there, that's going to be a very, very run heavy offense. I, I just, I worry about the upside on Bateman. Yeah, my concern with, with uh, shifting toward more passing, I, th- I think that they'll throw the ball more, but like we saw Buffalo make a major shift last year. Before that, though, they weren't running the ball especially well, and they weren't a very good offense. So I think they shifted to a strength, whereas Baltimore would be shifting away from what has been a strength. So it makes me wonder if maybe it'll just be a slight enough shift that it doesn't make it that much better a spot for Rashad Bateman. And I mean, more so the receivers behind him, if he does fit into that number one target slot, I'm going to close out the round by getting the quarterback started. And I I think they're pretty close, but I'll take Trevor Lawrence just because I think he's the safest bet. We know he's going to start right away. And really Jacksonville is suddenly pretty well stocked with offensive talent. So, I mean, I could take any of the top three quarterbacks, but I'll take the one starting right away. And the one who is, I guess near universally thought of as one of the safest QB prospects to come along. I like that. You know, like, as you say, he's, he's very safe. This is not a great class. And so uh, when you get to a point of thinking like, okay, I could take, uh, you know, like the generational quarterback or a wide receiver, I'm not really all that sold on. It's totally defensible. I think to, to go with the quarterback that said, I'm glad you, you went with Lawrence that way I could take Rondell Moore, who uh, I, hundred percent love. Um, he was my number three wide receiver before the draft, you know, drops a little bit because of draft capital and a little bit with landing spot. Although I think the landing spots about neutral and honestly, like you can maybe make a case that the landing spot is as good as it would have gotten for him um, because he has that chance to play in the slot uh, pretty quickly. And I think in that offense, the slot receiver can be used uh, in a fairly non-boring way. And I just imagine, or I'm hopeful that Cliff Kingsbury has the mental capacity within that offense to unlock a player like Rondell Moore. So I'm happy to go with Rondell Moore. I don't care that he did almost nothing his two final years of college. I'm very much focused on the fact that he broke out as an 18 year old true freshman, that he has great athleticism, that he's, just 21 years old, but there are so many of the things that go into my model that are like screamingly high on him. So uh, I'm very happy to get him at the top of the second round. Is height in your model? Uh, <laughs> sort of, but the thing is, I don't care. Like this is one of the, it's got, like, like weight is a much bigger factor in my model than height. And for a guy who is small anyway, and so was like never going to win through size, I don't care if he's 5'7 instead of 5'9. You know what I mean? If he were 5'9 on 180 pounds, we would just be like, okay, he's small. But like, we already know he's small. The fact that he's 5'7 doesn't really change anything for me in the way that he's likely to be used. So 5'7, whatever. Like, we're going to see a five, seven receiver. Who's awesome. Just like we're going to see like Devonte Smith, who's rail thin, be awesome. Like I, it just, it kind of doesn't matter to me. I mean, more would have been my pick here. Um, I like the landing spot a lot. I think he needed a young creative offensive coordinator like Cliff. Kings. I mean, I mean, poor Kadarius Tony, you know, a, a similar target player, I think not nearly as good, but you know, he, he lands with Jason Garrett. I, I think he has <laughs> yeah. chance with Jason Garrett trying to scheme him up. Um, so I, th- I thought it was a good landing spot for more. 
I don't think Christian Kirk's very good. And I think Adrian Green is obviously on his way out the door. So I think, you know, it, it sucks having Hopkins there as the target hog, but I think there's going to be enough, enough for more there, especially in a high volume offense, like, uh, you know, Cliff's running there. So, um, what is, are Jason Garrett, is Jason Garrett landing Kadarius Tony, like your dad getting his first smartphone. <laughs> the the one the one thing about the saving grace for Kadarius Tony is Jason Garrett's only going to be there for one more year, so right. uh, we we can't factor it in too much. Right. That is true. Um, All right, Jared, let's two two. Yeah, I'm going to take another quarterback here, Trey Lance. I think Trevor Lawrence definitely safer. I, I think Lance has the higher ceiling. I mean, I I think Lance has like quarterback one upside to him with the rushing. I thought San Francisco was the best landing spot for a quarterback when you factor in Kyle Shanahan and George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, you know, three great yak receivers that really make it easy on a quarterback. I mean, we'll see if we have to wait on Trey Lance a half a season or whatever. Shanahan sounds like, I mean, he thinks he's, you know, like one of the smarter college quarterbacks he's ever talked to. So I, I think, um, you know, despite the lack of experience that Lance might be under center uh, week one but again it's about the upside here if I'm drafting a quarterback in a rookie draft I want a guy who can you know be like a league winning type fantasy quarterback and I think Lance has that in him I 100% agree I was hoping Lance would make it back to me with the next pick he's my number one quarterback in this class and you know that might sound a little sacrilegious given like how unquestionably great Trevor Lawrence is but I think for fantasy Lance's Konami code ability gives him the edge over uh over Lawrence like I think Lawrence easily has the higher floor but I think Lance has the higher ceiling and like that's that's honestly what I'm chasing more like I'm I'm almost always going to go with the guy who has the higher ceiling I think all three of these top quarterbacks bring that ceiling I mean Trevor Lawrence was especially interested in rushing near the goal line I don't know whether that was Clemson's scheme or whether it's just the way he is but like in watching him for the draft shark scouting report, he was like Josh Allen near the goal line. I mean, Trey Lance was as well, but I don't think that any of these guys trades off ceiling versus the other ones. You can certainly nitpick and, you know, have your favorites, but I, I don't know. I, all these guys to me have QB one upside. Anybody else like Trey Lance is the top overall quarterback. I don't know. I keep going back and forth. Like I, I can hear it either way. The, I just keep going back to, I mean, he was an FCS guy and he kind of had some inaccuracies. I don't want to talk too much crap on Trey Lance. I think he's an awesome <laughs> prospect, especially for fantasy, but that you're, I mean, you're clearly taking on some risk. I think a lot of the risk is mitigated just because apparently he's just like awesome on the whiteboards and he's like an awesome person in general. And he's super young. And like, I mean, Kyle Shanahan's not going to try to waste a, a pick on an FCS guy unless he really trusts him. So I, I, I would, I could definitely see him being the, the one-on-one. So I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna argue against it. I'm gonna go with. I think it's, I'm on the clock now. I'm gonna go Justin Fields, and I think that Justin Fields is kind of in the same ballpark as somebody that can be a dual threat quarterback. Also, has an awesome arm talent. Like his accuracy numbers are off the charts. He can be aggressive downfield. We love to see that. He's gonna be somebody that's gonna be used around the goal line as a rusher. Um, he kind of profiles similarly to Deshaun Watson as a player, and I think the landing spot is okay. I think that. Nagy kind of gets more crap than he deserves as a play caller. He's also, he's been handcuffed by his quarterbacks in the past. I think Justin Fields is on an entirely different level as his other quarterbacks that he's had. So maybe that helps him. I don't think that Andy Dalton's going to start too many games this year as well. And we'll, we'll see, even if there's a, a quarterback or a, a regime change after the season, I think Justin Fields did enough at Ohio state to kind of just warrant going all in here, despite like falling to pick 11 or 12 or whatever it was. 
I think it's insane that he was the fourth quarterback drafted. I think it should have been the lead up to the NFL draft should have been, is it Trevor Lawrence or is it Justin Fields? And then maybe some people saying, well, Trey Lance belongs in that conversation as well. The arm talent, as you said, is there. The passing efficiency was there. It's not even like you have to say, oh, look at his arm. He has so much arm. The the numbers back it up. He he had better efficiency numbers passing than even Trevor Lawrence in this class. So it bothers me. I'm kind of like trying to talk myself out of having Justin Fields as a top quarterback just because clearly the NFL is like, no, man, we like these other guys better. But I would not be at all surprised if he ends up being the top fantasy quarterback from this class. I like it. And Matt, I, I agree. I think he should have been the number two pick, uh, not not Zach Wilson. And if he had gone in a better landing spot, I think there'd be, for me at least, uh, a pretty strong case to be made for him to be the 101 uh, in, in super flex leagues. So, uh, I, I mean, I'm with you. I see Fields as being much closer to Lawrence and Lance than to the other two quarterbacks in this class. Mm-hmm. For what it's and worth – Real quick, just for what it's worth, uh, Justin Fields was the highest in my model. He's a 93rd percentile quarterback. I don't do FCS prospects, so it's impossible to know where Trey Lance would have fallen within that group. But uh, my model is still, even with the draft capital, has him over Trevor Lawrence. It, it seems like you need to add at least North Dakota State with Carson Wentz and now Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> I, I really do. I really do. And, and Blake Eason. All right, don't forget about him. Freaking East. Yeah, I think, uh, <laughs> I think Fields is safer – than Trey Lance, and I think he has more upside than Trevor Lawrence. So you know, I, I think he, I think he falls right in that bucket with those with those two guys. Yeah. At the fourth pick of round two, I'm waiting while I'm on the clock to see who wants to trade with me because I really don't want anything else left. But since we're not going to bother with trades here, I'm going to lean Michael Carter over the next wide receiver on our list. And I mean, I, I honestly have no special love for Michael Carter. It's just that he landed in a spot that gives him immediate opportunity and. I mean, he could do as much as lead the team in carries this year. And if he does that, and if he has a good season, then I either get to decide whether I have a true asset or I can consider trading him next offseason. This is where you start trading your rookie picks for, you know, proven veterans or 2022 picks. Because I, I think there, there is a drop off after those first, was it 15 guys? Yeah. And this is like the, I, I agree with you. And this is the tipping point. Like Carter is the last running back in this class who has an actual chance of being a lead back uh, in his offense. So like, this is, it's like, if you need a running back and you're there, like, this is it, you know, you, you grab Michael Carter or you just go into the season with what you got. (laughs) And I think there should be some space between him and Trey Sermon, because I don't think, I think he has the upside to lead the backfield. I don't think he has the upside to be, you know, 270 touches guy. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad you took, um, well, I don't know about, yeah. I mean, I'm glad you took Michael Carter because I don't want to let Kadarius Tony fall any further down the board. And I mean, let's be honest, I, I would have been tempted to take Carter over a first round uh, wide receiver, which just feels wrong, but uh, I would have been tempted, but Kadarius Tony uh, all of a sudden now I think Jason Garrett is a great offensive coordinator who is somehow <laughs> going to unlock everything that Kadarius Tony has. Honestly, this is just about his first round draft capital. And that's about it. Uh, And and the athleticism, he's got a good athletic profile, but there's nothing about him that I really like other than the fact that uh, he does have the sort of like well-rounded skill set of like, he's a receiver who, you know, had some rushing production and had some return production and like, like those things matter. Like I can see the path to how he would have some NFL success, but you know, he looks a lot 
like the first round receivers from previous years who end up doing nothing in the NFL. So that terrifies me, but I'm willing to be terrified at uh, 205 with Kadarius Tony. Yeah, to, to be honest, I had to reach over uh, Cordero Tony in our rankings here to get to Michael Carter for my last pick. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think the fact that a first round you know NFL wide receiver in this week class, you know, dropped to 205 in our draft here. It tells you how we feel about Tony, but I, I do agree. At some point, you got to just take him because he's a first round wide receiver. Friedman mentioned, you know, the, I think the, I think Tony could add rushing value in the NFL, you know, like he did at Florida, which is big. You know, we've seen it, you know, someone like Robert Woods adds, you know, 30, 40 fantasy points every year with his rushing production. If Tony finds a coordinator that will give him that, you know, that, that could be big for his fantasy value. Yeah. If Where we can you- also get the 120 plus targets that Robert Woods gives us. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Where do you think he's going to play? Like, obviously, he's a slot guy. Does that do we think that Sterling Sterling Shepard's going to move to the move back to the outside and like take snaps away from Darius Slade? And when I was going through my projections, I was like, yeah. how how are they splitting the the, the routes they, here? This is yeah, they had, pretty wild. They had Shepard they had Shepard on the outside last year when Tate was healthy, didn't they? Yes. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know. I I would think that when Tony moves in the starting lineup, they they push Shepard to the outside and Slayton's kind of out of a out of a spot. Yeah, I think I that's think, the competition to watch this year is Tony versus Slayton. Yeah, and I think, honestly, to start the season, it might even be a little more split between the three of those guys than than we would anticipate. Like, I would think that, like, clearly Slayton and, and Shepard should have a, a, a upper hand over Tony, but because they spent a first-round pick on Tony, I could see him playing almost the same number of snaps as those two guys pretty quickly. Yep. I think the answer is to not draft any of them in the draft. <laughs> Agreed. All right, Jared, what's up at 206? I'm going to take uh, quarterback four in Zach Wilson. And again, I think that the biggest argument is just relative safety compared to the other guys available. Like, I mean, we, we know he's going to be on the field right away. So that, that obviously helps. Um, I think I think the landing spot has upside. I mean, I think there's a lot of question marks. We don't know anything about uh, Michael LaFleur. Um, you know, the receivers are sort of up in the air with um, Denzel Mims and Elijah Moore. But again, I think, you know, that, that, that could be a really nice three wide receiver set there. I still believe in Chris Herndon at tight end. So, you know, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Um, and I also think Zach Wilson has some underrated rushing ability. Like, you know, he, he's, you know, he's not going to be a five, 600 yard rushing guy, but I think he can run for 300 yards as a pro, which, which always helps. So the question I wanted to ask you guys is where does Wilson fall in your super flex? dynasty rookie rankings i think i have him number seven or number eight i have him i would need to look but i i believe i have him closer to mac jones than i do to the other guys at the top of the board i have him number eight and you you have the top three quarterbacks one two three correct same same here i think zach wilson and mac jones together would look like an assistant principal and the kid who's getting in trouble Zach Wilson's like if you draft Zach Wilson, you're in great shape for high musical, the football team. <laughs> for Very here, true. let's let's move on to pick seven though of round two. And Hayden, what you got? This was somebody I really liked his tape, and I thought his production profile was pretty good and athletic profile is Diami Brown. It was unfortunate he kind of slid further than I wanted to during the draft, but I think he kind of gets bailed out by an offense that is kind of exciting, especially this year with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, Diami Brown wins vertical, 1,000-yard seasons back-to-back, early declare, 21 years old, power five, checked all of those boxes. So I think that he's got a higher floor than most players around uh, like where he was drafted in like the third, fourth round area. And I think he's going to start immediately. There's not too much target competition uh, outside of the first two receivers on the depth chart. So I think that he's going to 
have some redraft value this year, and then we'll see what happens long-term for quarterback there. But I, I think that he's just a little higher floor prospect than the other guys on the board. Yeah, I wanted Deami Brown to be the round two version of what Josh Palmer became in round three for the Chargers and, and land in that offense. I couldn't believe that those other deep threats went ahead of Deami Brown. I was just making yeah, no sense yeah. to me. The order these wide receivers went off the board in the NFL draft was wild. I was losing my mind on Friday night with, you know, Tutu Atwell and Dwayne Eskridge going out of Brown and you know, all these other guys. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, Seth Williams falling to round six. Oh, uh, we'll like, get there. I, Yeah. I mean, <laughs> unreal. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. That's the first time that somebody else besides Jared mentioned Seth Williams. So uh, thank you <laughs> for getting him going. At 208, I'm going to take another player that I'm not excited about. I'm on Ross St. Brown. And I mean, it's a bunch of receivers up now that I'm like, yeah, maybe. So I'm going to go for the guy that has the best immediate opportunity. And that's certainly what Detroit offers him. I mean, I like Tyrell Williams. I hope it's Tyrell Williams this year, but it could be any of them. It could be none of them. Uh, in the middle of round two, though, Amon Ross St. Brown could see as much as 100 targets, even though I wouldn't bet on that many. Yeah, I would I would draft him in a rookie draft and then immediately try to trade him away. Because I think, I think you know, there, there's probably someone in your dynasty league that thinks too highly of him just based on the landing spot and the, you know, supposed opportunity. Do either of you modelers have Amon Ross St. Brown rating particularly well? I think he should have been more of a day two pick as opposed to uh, the round four pick. So, uh, I mean, I have him... I'm around number 22 uh, in my rankings and not around number 22. I have number 22 in my rankings. Uh, But part of that is the draft capital. But I do think he's going to see targets pretty quickly. Uh, And so I I think um, he's going to be worth more a year from now than he is now. So uh, from that perspective, I think there's probably value in drafting him. And I, I think he's a fairly high floor player. Amon Ross St. Brown is a 51st percentile wide receiver prospect, but he's immediately somebody that I think is going to out, outproduce that just based off of Landy spot and opportunity. So I have him ranked ahead of some other guys that my model likes more just based off of landing spot. I think that this is the time of the draft where you can kind of start making these exceptions because if you're, if your receiver isn't getting on the field near one or year two, he's just not going to be producing. So at least he has that path. Yeah, I think Freeman's point about the fact that his value is probably going to rise over the next 12 months is probably the best reason to draft him. Yep, that's what's pushing him ahead of the other wide receivers in this range for me. So back around to you, Matt. What do you have at 209? Uh, I'm going to go with Randall Cobb 2.0 and Amari Rodgers, and then I'm just going to hope that Aaron Rodgers actually plays in Green Bay. Because uh, if that doesn't happen, then I'm not going to like this pick at all. Uh, I, and honestly, there's not all that much that I like about Amari Rogers in a vacuum. Uh, but the landing spot, the third round draft capital, uh, and his style of play, like that all kind of fits with me. And I'm not enamored enough with any of the other wide receivers uh, in Green Bay. I mean, obviously outside of Devontae Adams to think that Amari can't be the number two wide receiver there pretty quickly. So he's the guy I'm going to go with here. And I feel like I'm getting him at a little bit of value uh, at pick 209, not like a, a chunk of value, but a little bit of value. How are you guys treating the Aaron Rodgers situation in best ball drafts right now? Are you adjusting down on the Packers at all or just kind of drafting as though Aaron Rodgers is going to be there by fall? I don't think you should draft Devontae Adams as the number one receiver anymore. Uh, like I think he's you know, maybe a half tier. Like I would, I have Tyreek Hill now ahead of him, 
Uh, I have Stefan Diggs now ahead of him. He's my wide receiver three. Like he obviously has as much like raw ability uh, and upside as those two guys. But I think he now carries much more downside than they do just because of the the uncertainty of his situation. Yeah, I I knocked – I think I have Aaron Rodgers projected for like 13 or 14 games. And I knocked down Green Bay's points per game, their neutral pass rate, all of that fun stuff. I want to be betting against Jordan Love too. So I, I, I'm with I'm with Matt. I, I dropped Devontae Adams down to like I think wide receiver three or wide receiver four. Uh, Aaron Jones is now like RB12 and Tunyon is like I don't want to be drafting him either. So I think the only reason why I would be drafting these guys is in like the underdog basketball tournament where you like the prize pool is like you got to get come in like top 100 or you're not getting that much money. That's when I would start considering building an Aaron Rodgers stack at discounted prices, but I'm not I'm not paying the full price tag right now. Yeah, I was gonna say I think if you can get a you know cheap Packer stack and something like the underdog tournament, you know that's that's the place to do it because you know that, that could be something that, that wins you the money. Jared, who's the pick here at two ten? Nico Collins for me. Um, you know, guy I was excited about pre-draft. You know, obviously has the size, has the athleticism, poor raw production, but I mean that Michigan passing game was was horrible. The, the market shares are decent. I was I was happy and, and actually surprised he went in round three. I mean. I, I, I think Nico Collins and Donovan Peoples-Jones were like very similar prospects, but DPJ dropped to the sixth round. Nico Collins gets the third round draft capital. The Houston landing spot, I mean, obviously the quarterback situation is, is a mess, assuming Watson is gone, but you know there, there's plenty of opportunity for him to you know step right in as a, as a top two receiver this season alongside Brandon Cooks. And it doesn't sound like anybody would have Nico Collins ahead of Amon Ross St. Brown, right? I, I, have, him, I have him neck and neck, though. Like mm-hmm. I have uh, St. Brown one spot ahead of Collins. St. Brown seems safer to me. I think Collins has a higher ceiling, though, just, you know, with the physical profile. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'm sure it'd be a little bit different, too, if there were if we knew what the quarterback situation were going to be in Houston in the coming season. Uh, Hayden, who's the next pick in this one? I don't like any of these prospects <laughs> right now, so Agreed. I'm going to go with Fryermuth, and I, I, I'm not sure if this is too early for a tight end, but he projects pretty well in my model. He's an 85th percentile prospect, and we'll see what the quarterback situation is. Uh, how that shakes out long term, um, but I, I think he's just like too good of a prospect. I think there's a, a decent teardrop between him and the next guy. At least my model's telling me that. And I thought Firemuth was a a pretty good receiving prospect on tape. And even before the draft, um, teams were telling him that they want him to be a move tight end. He's not going to be blocking too much. That's not how he profiles. So I think that he might be a better fantasy asset than um, real life asset. But once again, it's like these tight ends. Like you don't know what you're getting out of them. I like it. Uh, I, I think this is uh, a, a, like the right spot to take him. I think this is roughly the range where he should be going. As you said, he's got a good skill set uh, as a receiver, but he does also have the blocking ability to where even if that's not his primary function, they don't have to take him off the field because yep. he's not a liability as a run blocker. He can hold his own there. So I, I like his three down ability and the fact that uh, Ebron is uh, entering the final year of his contract, you know, Freyer Ruth looks like he's got the inside track to be a starter in 2022, which, you know, I think makes him pretty valuable. He's already getting comp to Heath Miller in Pittsburgh, which, you know, if his career turns out like that, it wouldn't, wouldn't be a bad thing. Hey, in, in Pittsburgh, that's the ultimate compliment. Yeah, sure is. Yeah, they'll be calling him Muth, I think, probably by week one, but we'll see. I want the next pick to be Tylen Wallace, but it's just not. I mean, I loved the production profile heading in. I thought that there was upside, but then everything else worked against him. I mean, going in round four was the first thing. Landing in Baltimore is not a great spot. 
And then landing in Baltimore with Rashad Bateman. So even if it was like Lamar Jackson's not as bad for wide receivers as you think, well, landing there with Rashad Bateman is, and Marquise Brown is also there. So there's two first-round wide receivers ahead of him. So it's not Tylen Wallace uh, after all that. I'll, I'll take a shot on Josh Palmer, knowing very well that he could be absolutely nothing. But, you know, by this season, he could also be ahead of Tyron Johnson and Jalen Guyton. So I'll take a shot, and I'm going to call it a bet on Justin Herbert to make myself feel better. There you go. Yeah, I like that. And you have uh, Mike Williams entering the final year of his contract. So, you know, a, a decent chance that Josh Palmer is a, a starter this year and next year is the number two uh, in, in that offense. So with that draft capital, I think it makes sense. I'm going to basically do what I did two picks ago and take a guy who's falling down the board. Uh, so I'm going to take Dwayne Eskridge. I don't really like it, but, uh, you know, he's got the draft capital second rounder. He's going into an offense that has an open spot there. Like, I think he's got a pretty good chance to be the number three receiver pretty quickly. And my feeling, I might be wrong on this, but my feeling is that with the the drafting of Dwayne Eskridge, Seattle is signaling that maybe once again, they try the let rest cook experiment because, because they have almost no draft capital. And yet with their top pick, they still take a receiver in second round, despite having maybe like the best duo or one of the best duos of receivers in the league already. Like it's a weird move for a run focused team to make, unless you really are planning on leaning into the passing game. So that's part of the hope of this, of like the draft capital combined with Russell Wilson combined with the idea that maybe they throw a little bit more than we would expect. And like, he's not a talentless guy. He's just old and uh, didn't break out until his final (laughs) season, but I'm just going to put that aside and uh, say that, you know, a second rounder, I'm fine betting on the situation and draft capital and hopefully some talent. Are we sure he didn't just take his shirt off during a zoom with Pete Carroll and endear himself to Seattle? (laughs) Hey, there would be dumber ways to go about an interview with that guy. <laughs> I would absolutely, if I were a prospect, I would show up with my shirt off, especially if I were a guard prospect. Big time. All right. Number two in the round, Jared, what you got? I'm going to take the uh, what, the guy, the running back who went ninth in this class at his position in a crappy running back class. I'm just going to you know, kind of stick to my pre-draft thoughts on Kenneth Gainwell. I mean, I thought he was one of the better pass catching backs. In this class, you know, maybe, maybe the, the the best pass catching back. I'd probably give it to ETM, but I'd probably have Gainwell too. Um, again, you know, he, he drops to the fifth round, RB nine. The landing spot's decent. Though. I mean, I think he can right away take Boston Scott's role as you know the change of pace guy behind Miles Sanders. It's a new coaching staff there. We don't know what they think about Miles Sanders. Maybe they're not as high on him. Maybe they want it to be more of a committee. And Gainwell does more on the ground than we think. Um, you know, it is Nick Sirianni. I, I think he already comped Gainwell to Naheem Hines, which you know isn't super optimistic because like Hines is someone you can never feel comfortable starting, you know, in a, in a lineup setting fantasy league, but and maybe if Gainwell becomes Naheem Hines plus an extra, you know, three, four carries per game, then we're, then we're cooking. Yeah. I would say even now the current Naheem Hines is somebody that you can feel solid about picking in round three of a rookie draft too. I, I think Kenneth Gainwell and Najee Harris were both ahead of Travis Etienne in terms of receiving talent. I think uh, if we're talking about, Receiving fantasy upside, just, you know, putting up the numbers in that area. I think Travis Etienne's up there, but Kenneth Gainwell was running wide receiver routes. 
He was running the ball ahead of Antonio Gibson. Uh, Patrick Taylor started out as a starter and got hurt that season. But, I mean, Kenneth Gainwell didn't give us a whole lot of production. He was not on the field a whole lot of Memphis. But when he was on the field, he was like almost workhorse level back stuff. I love those Memphis guys. Like you could do a lot worse than being like uh, a guy who got a thousand yards at Memphis. I'll, I'll just take him in the third round. You know, like you could do a lot worse than that. And I do think he's got a pretty good chance of beating out Boston Scott in year one. So, and, and like, that's, that's not nothing, especially in this class. Next up, Hayden, who's the third pick around three. I'm going to go Mac Jones. I thought he took too much heat as a prospect. This uh, pre-draft process should probably just because like the other quarterback prospects were so good. And he, doesn't look good with his shirt off. He couldn't go into Pete Carroll's office shirtless. That's just not how he's going to win people over. But he set a bunch of records last year uh, at Alabama and blew out all of Tua's stats with half of the receiving talent that Tua had. And he's super accurate by anyone's charting. And I thought that he his arm strength wasn't as bad as people made it out to be. And I don't think that his, his in-pocket movement skills were as bad as people made it out to be like he's not going to do too much uh rushing but i kind of trust mac jones and bill belichick to like figure out a pretty decent passing offense here um so i'll just take the value obviously there's a huge teardrop after this quarterback and i just think that mac jones he he caught too many bullets this pre-draft process Mm -hmm. i think it was kind of unfair i think he could be matt ryan and you know matt ryan's never won you a fantasy league but i mean he's been you know a fine quarterback one for like 15 years now and if you can get that in the third round of a dynasty rookie draft in this class i think you know it's definitely worth it and this is when you draft matt ryan is when he slips beyond the other quarterbacks not when he's going up above the winner so it's uh it fits with the comparison right here uh, this is a spot where i just go ahead and take uh tylen wallace i i thought about tutu atwell for the same reasoning that matt had with Dwayne eskridge you know you, you look at the draft capital it's in a positive offense. I mean, it could go well, but Tutu Atwell is like Dwayne Eskridge's toothpick. So I just can't bring myself to take him over Tylen Wallace at this point when I know that neither is likely to actually deliver for me. I'm going to go ahead and trust the production profile. I'm going to cross my fingers. I'm going to pray that something breaks right. He gets traded or whatever. There's some change in Baltimore that makes him at least a number two receiver. I like Tylen Wallace at some point in round three you know, with, with a prayer to go with them. All right. So I guess that means falling to me. I, you know, I, I'm not taking Tutu Atwell. I'm just not going to, this is, this <laughs> is I, I've already taken enough disgusting wide receivers in Kadarius Tony and Dwayne Eskridge that I don't want to take uh, another, but I'm, I mean, I'm going to take another disgusting receiver. It's just not going to be uh Tutu. I'm going to go with Anthony Schwartz, it, like total projection, but he was a four-star recruit. He's, you know, outweighing Tutu by 30 pounds, and yet he's significantly faster. He's got, like, world-class speed. He's got that varied skill set and that he can contribute as a runner, as a return man. Who knows if he actually ends up doing anything at all in Cleveland. Like, maybe he is just a gadget player and rotational receiver, and that's all he ever is. But with the draft capital and with the fact that they could lose uh, significant pass catchers, in the next two years, uh, I'll end up taking a, a shot here on Anthony Schwartz. What is just, average, like, just 21 years old, by the way. How are you that fast and you average like 12.8 yards per catch in college? You play at Auburn. I, I think that's the answer. <laughs> He's really raw. Like his tape, he, he yeah. needs a lot of work, but I think the long-term play makes sense here, especially with the other guys like you mentioned, could be out the building and – 
when you're that fast, it's it's worth betting on. All right, I'm going to take Tutu Atwell here at 306. Um, and a wide receiver class full of outliers, he'd, he'd be the biggest one at that weight. What is he, like 155 pounds or something? But second-round draft capital, I don't mind riding with Sean McVay. McVay said he's a young version of Deshaun Jackson. You know, he, he needs to put on like 30 pounds to be Deshaun Jackson. But, I mean, you know, maybe maybe he is the, the DJX replacement when, you know, Jackson goes down in, in week three this year. Yeah, he needs to put on 30 pounds and lose like – two tenths of a second off of his 40 time, yeah. you know, like it's, it, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm dumbfounded. And, and this, this gets to the point where it's like, you know, Hayden is like, I like guys who play at Alabama. Atwell was a third star, a three star recruit who played at Louisville. Like I know he was incredibly productive in his sophomore season, but I just like, I do not privilege it the way that I probably should but just especially when it's combined with his athletic profile, which is just like one of the most horrendous things I've ever seen. Like uh, he's not, he's not fast for a guy of his size, like a 4.42 second 40 time. Like that's not really even all that fast for an NFL wide receiver. Like it's faster, but like that doesn't really make him like a bona fide speedster. I don't like the fit really either. Just like schematically, because you want him to be playing in the slot because you don't want him facing press man coverage, but they already have Cooper cup and, and Robert Woods is there too, who yeah. can also play in the slot. So he's going to be playing on the outside against press coverage, something he never saw in college. And so what I think is happening here. Sean McVay is like, all right, we have Matthew Stafford. How do we get these safeties to like play a little bit deeper than we want? Oh, let's just draft somebody that's really fast who in theory takes the top off. And that's like scares defenses. And he's like, just going to be running nine routes the entire game when get no targets. And that's assuming that Deshaun Jackson's not playing. So like, I, I just, I did not understand this pick at all. Even just like schematically, like we're already talking about the, the athleticism, like just schematically it makes no sense to me either. Like this pick made me respect Sean McVay less. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to see Deshaun Jackson's face when Sean McVay is calling Tutu Atwell Deshaun Jackson. I mean, Tutu Atwell yeah. is like the size I was in fourth grade. Yeah. All right. So, Hayden, who's the next pick here? I think we've been mean enough to little Tutu. I, I hope I hope he, he pays off for him. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with Chuba Hubbard, who, like, he's just one of the guys that I actually thought has, like, a three-down profile in theory. He just – had such a bad season last year and there's some injury concerns and he maybe isn't as big as you'd like him to be, but I'm just looking, he is one Christian McCaffrey ankle roll away from potentially seeing 80% snaps. We saw what Mike Davis did last year. There are some weeks where Mike Davis is an RB one. So at this point I've seen Chuba Hubbard in the power five rush for 2000 yards. And he is one ankle roll away from being a, a potential three down back to me. That is way better than the other guys that are on the board. So I think that he's probably being a little underappreciated just as a pure insurance play, but I think that's fine. He reportedly played through a high ankle sprain last year. So like yes. if that's the case, I think you, you you can throw that out. Like you're, you know, you can't play through a high ankle sprain if you're a running back. So I, I think you can, you know, sort of lean on that 2019 season a bit more. Yes, I would certainly take him earlier than this, especially if I have Christian McCaffrey on my dynasty roster. I think that if if McCaffrey were to go down again, we're getting better than Mike Davis talent wise here. What's not getting better is the talent on the board. And I, I don't know. I, I, I'm calling around to see if I can find anybody that's willing to move a pick, but I guess, I guess I'm staying here and taking Ramondre Stevenson, but I honestly, to me, he looks like a slower Damian Harris. So I, I don't like it. If I can't get a trade from anybody, I guess I'm holding Stevenson this year, hoping he gets an opportunity because Harris gets hurt. 
and that I can flip him for something else because I, I think it's a terrible landing spot for him. Hey, man, better better than you do, Matt. Um, I mean, we, you know, we've seen funky stuff stuff happen in the Patriots backfield. There's already a report. I think it was from from Mike Reese, maybe um, that you know Michelle might be cut here um, with Stevenson's arrival. So in that case, you know, he'd be one Harris injury away from from being the lead ball carrier there. Yeah, I I go back and forth on Stevenson. I mean. The, the fourth round draft capital isn't great, but for a bigger back, he's got a pretty good receiving skills. So coming out of Oklahoma, he's interested in like, he's, he's a lock to make the roster because of his special teams ability, you know? So like the fact that he, like, I think he's likely to be suiting up every Sunday, whereas we did not see that from Damian Harris as a rookie. So like that alone makes him a little more intriguing to me than I would expect given the fourth round draft capital. But yeah, this is a part where it, it's pretty disgusting. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I this is my final pick here. I would be tempted to go with uh, Hunter Long, who I think has a, a pretty decent situation in Miami. Davis Mills, I think, has a decent chance of getting playing time in year one with the Deshaun Watson uncertainty. However, I'm going to go with Kellen Mond, who... I think has the rushing ability to where if he ends up becoming a starter somehow, even not like a real starter, even if it's just spot starts, maybe it's like Kirk Cousins is doing Kirk Cousin-y type of things and they finally get tired of it. And they look at Kellen Mond and they're like, this guy is so not Kirk Cousins. Let's see if he can give us a boost. I think if that happens, he has the rushing ability to be something like a low-end Jalen Hurts from what we saw last year. Uh, so with the rushing ability that he has, I will take Kellen Mond. I like it. I'm curious to see what he does in the NFL because I, I wouldn't be surprised if he ultimately is Brett Hundley. But, I mean, we're in round three. You might as well take a shot on the upside. And if it doesn't work out, it's not a big deal. Yeah, I don't expect, like, real NFL success. I just expect him at some point to get a shot. And mm. when he gets that shot to uh, have the rushing ability to outperform expectations. Mm. My comparison for him was like C plus Colin Kaepernick. So there's a, there's a chance. I think we're going to be talking. He's going to be, we're going to go over DraftKings prices and he's going to be 4,800 one week. And then he's going to be like, all right, do we go with Kyler Murray at 7,800 or Kellen Mond at 4,800? And yes. that's like going to be the debate of the week. Yeah. <laughs> Kellen Mond's going to be the answer. <laughs> Jared, what's your answer at three times? Uh, I thought Freeman was going to steal Seth Williams from me. I, I was worried there. Um, I'm taking Seth Williams here. Um, you know, the draft capital obviously sucked. Not not a major surprise, I think, if you were, you know, reading stuff pre-draft. It sounded like the NFL was not high in him. That The tape is super inconsistent. It sounds like he's you know has kind of that diva thing going on where if he doesn't get the ball early in games, he sort of just checks out. So that, that's all a concern. He's obviously going to be buried on the Denver depth chart this season, but Cortland Sutton is a free agent after this year. So maybe there's opportunity there. And I, you know, I thought Williams was a you know, prospect that should have gone like the third or fourth round based on the size, based on the athleticism, based on the college production, you know, the raw numbers weren't good, but you know, the market share numbers as both a sophomore and junior were strong. So, you know, I'm just, I'm just leaning on the prospect profile here in the late third round. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure he felt, I'm pretty sure he fell because of character concerns and like it's strictly character concerns. So, we don't we it's impossible for us to know from afar but i think this is about the time we start take rolling the dice on them yeah i'll take on i'll take on those character concerns okay you don't have to deal with them (laughs) who's your final pick here all right i just took my analytics model through it right out the window i'm going 
Cornell Powell here, um, 23rd percentile wide receiver prospect. To me, this is just a schematic fit. He is an X receiver in waiting. Kansas City Chiefs roster has nobody like that on the roster. I mean, it is a very tiny roster, and they have like no money, like moving the next couple of years to bring in a big free agent. They have it's a super stars and scrubs approach. And I think that Cornell Powell might be uh, in the starting lineup this year. Now he needs like a Tyreek Hill or a Travis Kelsey injury or something like that to become fantasy viable. But I think that he provides something in the offense that Byron Pringle, DeMarcus, DeMarcus Robinson, McCole Hardman don't provide. And that's just like some sides and some, some physicality. And I think he's a better run blocker than those guys. So I think that just get him on the field and he's with Patrick Mahomes and they don't have that much money or movements to draft or uh, bring in somebody else for a long-term competition. That's good enough for me. Yeah. And, and just to add to what Hayden said here, uh, one, he went to Clemson, which, you know, Hayden absolutely loves that. Uh, but on, on top of that, you know, Demarcus Robinson is a free agent after this year. And Byron Pringle is also a free agent after this year. So, you know, if, if Powell shows something, he does have an inside track to being a starter in 2022. Like he really could be like the number two wide receiver in that offense a year from now. Doesn't Demarcus Robinson hitting free agency to just mean he has another one-year contract from the Chiefs coming next offseason? <laughs> I mean, Maybe. Really, at 311, you say Chiefs wide receiver, and you can just end it there. I mean, that, that's enough upside for, for any player at this point. I'm going to close it out with Javian Hawkins, and it's not somebody that I expected to be drafting at any point heading into the NFL draft, and then he didn't get picked, which, of course, is not good for him. But then he landed in probably the only spot that would make me interested, and it's Atlanta, where – Javian Hawkins could be the best running back as soon as this year. And if he is, then I'm selling him even more quickly than James Robinson next off season. But I, I don't, there's nothing impressive in the backfield. Mike Davis is fine, but I don't think he's any better than fine. And that's why he's been with so many NFL teams to this point. Javian Hawkins is exciting to watch. He's the kind of player who could easily ingratiate himself with the coaches this summer and earn some kind of role. He could have, you know, the kind of year that Jaquiz Rogers had for the Bucks a couple of years ago, or it was him and Peyton Barber in a backfield. I think we thought it was going to be Doug Martin heading into the season or something like that. I don't think Javian Hawkins is even quite Jaquiz Rogers. He didn't have the workload that Jaquiz Rogers did at Oregon State, but he did carry the ball a lot. He's capable of at least, you know, a season of stuff. And then I hope he has that and I can trade him next year. He's, he's small, but he's not Tutu Atwell small. So yeah, he's bigger than Tutu Atwell. I think I saw you tweeting this out before, and I agreed with you. His tape is so much fun, man. Like this guy stays in there and is willing to block. He was awesome out of the backfield. He's he's pretty explosive as a runner. He is undersized. He went undrafted. I, I hear all that stuff, but I'm with you. I, I feel like he's somebody that like the coaching staff is going to love, and maybe that's enough for him to to be active on game days and a really bad depth chart. He's the guy you dig into and you say, I can't touch that guy. And then you watch him and you're like, oh, I hope he does well, though. I hope he does better than I'm expecting him. Very to. easy to root for. Very easy to root for. That's right. I'm, I'm surprised that he didn't run faster at his pro day because he ran a 4.36 40 time coming out of high school. Of course, he was 167 pounds. So, you know, maybe he gains some weight and gets a little bit slower. But, like, he, I think he does have some pretty legit athleticism. I mean, we all get to college and we're surprised that we get all the ice cream and Lucky Charms we want. So, I mean, <laughs> it's bound to slow you down at some point. Anybody, are there any, like, glaring omissions, any players that should have gotten into the top 36 that didn't before we head out? 
I don't know if I'd say glaring omission, but uh, Hunter Long does stand out to me as a guy that I would be happy to get at the end of the third round. And if he doesn't go in the third round, then I'm happy to get him off of waivers because I think he does have a a full skill set. You know, after Freyermuth, I think he probably has the best combination in the class of uh, blocking capability and receiving ability. And uh, he's, you know, behind Gesicki, but Gesicki's entering free agency after this year. So Hunter Long in 2022 could be a starter in the league. So to get that at the tight end position, uh, I think is valuable. Yeah, the, the only guy in my top 36 that didn't get picked here is Des Fitzpatrick. Decent size, athleticism. Actually got produced uh, 2-2 Atwell at Louisville last year and landed in that, you know, Tennessee spot where there is opportunity. You know, he's basically going to be battling with Josh Reynolds for that number two wide receiver spot this season. I had both of those guys in my top 36 as well. And the other person is Amir Smith-Marset, who has a chance to be in three receiver sets in Minnesota. We know Adam Thielen is is getting a little bit older. And I thought that he, his tape and his like per uh, route run metrics were, were pretty decent. And I, he had some off-field concerns. I think that's why he slipped. But I think that his tape was better than his um, – then his draft capital will suggest. And then there's a path immediately, like maybe a year from now or two years from now where he's lining up next to uh, Justin Jefferson. So maybe a name to, to keep on your queue. That's going to do it for this three-man, 12-team, three-round mock draft. Hayden Winks from Underdog, thank you very much for joining us. Tell us about where people can find your work. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, podcasting with Josh Norris, and we're, our entire goal is to get one of our followers to win the uh, $1 million and $1 prize in the big underdog uh, best ball tournament, biggest prize pool of all time. Uh, you got to get in there. It's $25 to enter. If you want to go um, use promo code Hayden Winks. Nice. And your partner, Josh Norris crushed the mock draft this year. And he'll tell you about it. He's not, a, he's not afraid to tell you about it either. That's right. Matt Friedman of the action network. Thank you very much for joining us as well. Regularly crushing the mock draft. Please tell us where to find the rest of your work. So you can follow me on Twitter. I wasn't as fortunate as Hayden Winks just to come on onto Twitter and just get my name. <laughs> so uh, you can't find me at Matthew Friedman or Matt Friedman on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Matt F. The Oracle. And my work is at Action Network and Fantasy Labs. And uh, so I just posted my epic, you know, 50,000 word uh, top 50 rookie rankings there. And uh, I'll have some other pieces coming out. Like I'll have my, my uh, 2022 way too early mock draft coming out. Uh, probably in a couple of days and also a way too early 2022 uh, top 50 of uh, just kind of like all of all of the guys in that class, like my top 50 big board for how I would rank guys coming into the NFL draft. So that will be up on Action Network within a few days. It might not be your full name, but I like that we can either choose to read it as Matt F is the Oracle or Matt's saying F the Oracle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that's good. Uh, you're the only person I know of who has read it that way, but it is very, it is inventive and you, you should get some acknowledgement for that. Thank you. I like the open-endedness, the freedom to, to digest it how I want. You, of course, know where you can find Jared's and my work. It's DraftSharks.com, all the rookie rankings that you need with write-ups. They're up there now, full dynasty rankings. And of course, redraft rankings. We're in the process of updating coming off the NFL draft. Become a DS insider, get access to all of that. You can also find us on Twitter at Draft Sharks. Jared is at Smola DS. I am at Shout DS. It's S C H A U F. For our guests and the entire Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Shout saying thanks so much for swimming with us.